the Australian Border Force official podcast review. Hi, this is Dom Double Decisions. My name is Dom Knight. Andrew P. Street is my co-host. And Andrew, we've been out-podcasted by the Australian government. Oh, man, look, I am so annoyed that they beat us to it because, you know, I, I mean, as we've been talking for months now about having an Australian Border Force podcast. Oh. And... Uh, and, and they've pipped us. They've pipped us again. Dutton, always one step ahead. All the great work that they do and all the other great work that they do with a feature also on the great work that they do. That's one of the things we'll talk about today. Uh, along with um, Andrew, let's just say it's not Bob Day's day, week, month or year, if I'm going to quote <laughs> friends. And I am. Wow, you, you, you're really running with that joke still. That, that's that's good. That's brave. Yeah, I, yeah I, bring it. That's and commitment, bring it again. commitment to a bit. I like it. I like it a lot. It's, uh, yes, today has not been a triumphant day for Bob Day. That's a lot of days in, in that one statement. And uh, and also for Rod Cullerton of One Nation, who uh, who has given what I think it's fair to say is one of the greatest uh, doorstop interviews of of the political season it's it, it was a, a, a work of improvisational majesty and uh you know, I, I look forward to exploring that because um, my goodness he said some good things look it's going to be fabulous uh not one but two senators under a cloud at the moment how great is that cloud and how how much does it also implicate our uh, our constant uh, subject senator george brandis and his ongoing stoush with uh former australian government solicitor general Justin Gleeson, very interesting stuff and, uh, look, just for a bit of fun, you've got to sign up to the ABF podcast. I'd almost say stop listening to this one and go and sign up to that. But we have a great guest and, frankly, they don't ever. So uh, Jacqueline Maley is with us from Fairfax, um, a colleague of yours, Andrew. Hello, Jacqueline. Hello, Dom. Hello, Andrew. Good evening. <laughs> and apologies for making you listen to the, the podcast. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get on to the ABF a little bit later on. Let's Let's start with this developing situation it's quite hard to catch up with but Jacqueline from what I understand um there are these rules about being in the senate and they can be pesky yes they can be and um unfortunately for the senators involved the high court um has gotten involved um and particularly attorney general George Brandis has has referred both matters, I think, to the High Court. Um, so we have Bob Day on, in one corner, who's, of course, the family first senator, who is going to resign anyway as it happens um, because of um, the collapse of his housing business. Then he decided he wasn't going to resign, and now he's reneged on his non-resignation. It turns out he might be in the Senate kind of illegitimately for complex reasons. So not one but two issues. Um, if he has a third, potentially he wins some kind of set of high court coasters. Um, so not only should he perhaps have to resign, he shouldn't have potentially been elected anyway. Um, and this is pretty messy, isn't it, Andrew? This was re referred to our good pals, um, the Australian government's legal advisors. They said no, but they went, oh, well, let's do it anyway. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all a little bit dodgy. The, the, the situation is basically that uh, they moved his offices to a building that he had uh, previously owned, but had ostensibly sold to a uh, uh, to a colleague, and there's fairly big question marks over whether or not any money actually changed hands, whether uh, Day was still a guarantor on the mortgage, therefore, as far as the, the Commonwealth was concerned, still an owner of the building. 
but also there's the fact that all, all the legal advice that the then Abbott government got on the matter was do not do this, run a mile. <laughs> and yet it was kind of uh, – it, it was decided that in a, in a refreshing bipartisan show of amity of the, uh, the new Abbott government reaching out to the, to the crossbench, not expecting anything in return, and just, you know, just wanting to welcome, welcome their colleagues, their, their, their brothers, their brothers-in-law. You might even say. Normally, when you suggest that Tony Abbott run a mile, he's up for it. But on this occasion, I <laughs> thought it'd be sweet as. Yeah, and so it does look a little bit. I mean, the, the problem, as ever, is that there's a, a fairly embarrassing paper trail of legal advice saying that this is certainly going to be open to uh, to dispute, and it doesn't. At the very, very least, it doesn't look very good. And the problem is that now it's up for dispute, and it really doesn't look very good. So that, that legal advice turns out to have been pretty spot on. Yeah, and this is the sort of situation, as I understand it, where one might um, potentially appreciate the services of, oh, I don't know, a solicitor general um, <laughs> to provide advice through the situation. But, Jacqueline, we don't have one of those either. Um, how are they going to work this out? Is this a paper rock? Well, <laughs> I mean, it couldn't, it couldn't be any worse than that at the moment. I mean, that's, that's what they might have to do for the recount in the upper house um, in, uh, in South Australia if that's what it actually leads to. I, think, I do think they have an acting Solicitor General, so we're not Solicitor General-less entirely. Um, and, but Justin Gleeson certainly has been getting quite a run in the media lately because I think Rod Cullerton, who I'm sure we are about to get on to, the One Nation Senator. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, his his press conference today, as Andrew said, was just a work of masterful genius. It was like part kind of performance art. It just was sort of made to go viral and internationally viral, I would say, um, this press conference because there were so many amazing Australian-isms in, in it that it just didn't seem real. And he kept talking about the reason that he's been um, his eligibility for his Senate seat is in question is because he stole a hire car key. Um, Allegedly. Was, uh, well, I, I know. I <laughs> Except mean, for the conviction. Yeah, he really, he copped to it. Um, as he said, I've yeah, never, this, denied, this is, this never denied that I didn't take the key. Um, but what I think he meant was he never denied that he took the key. He's totally up front. He took the key. He took the key. Um, he even, offered, he even to, offered to get them a new key and make it in brass. <laughs> that's, that's Which was right. one of the odder, the odder bits of the press conference, that, uh, <laughs> specifying the material from which he had offered to, to have a, a, a duplicate made. Was, Very uh, good material for keys in the Victorian era. He just, um, <laughs> he just referred to it as the Armadale incident. I haven't um, seen which... this press conference. I, I'm actually enjoying the, the gradual unfolding of it by the two of you. <laughs> it was just a, it was a masterpiece of mangled mixed metaphors that at one point he sort of talked about how um, he, as an Australian, as a, you know, as just a sort of happy-go-lucky Australian bloke, he wasn't going to get himself any actual legal advice. You know, no fancy Solicitor General or barristers for him. He was was just going to go and shear himself a sheet, chuck it on his head and front up to the High Court. Just wait till Um, his mate Malcolm Roberts turns up and argues that he's not actually a person for the purposes of any (laughs) of the relevant legislation. And uh, it's going to be a fiesta. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure barristers' headdresses are made out of horsehair, but that is a minor, minor detail at this point. Not this bloke's, it's an Aussie sheep. I, I would just like to point out, by the way, that, that the, uh, the the actual quote when, when he was explaining why he wasn't going to get uh, 
and any of your fancy pants legal advice was what I've got to come up with another hundred thousand dollars <laughs> to have everyone sit up there like Harry Potter. I'm not doing that. Like Harry Potter in the wizard well, gamut, presumably. Potter. Nice reference, uh, potentially soon to be former senator. Well, it's Don't bring like Harry there's, Potter there's, into this. There are, you know, there's no shortage of actual, you know, courtroom dramas in the sort of <laughs> the world of the arts. Like you didn't reference rake or rumpole of the bailey or you know the bill i mean there's you know we're not talking high culture here but the fact it worries me that he thinks that the high court is sort of like hogwarts run by wizards that's that's going to be a real shock for him when he, when he comes in oh, well gosh. maybe not maybe not maybe that's where jk rowling is going to actually set her next um blockbuster her next Harry Potter book um, is, <laughs> yeah. in the, is in the High Court, the brutalist architecture of the High Court in, in downtown. Harry Potter and the shonky swiped potentially brass key. Yeah. There was one other quote which I absolutely loved, and this this wasn't from the press conference. This came from an interview that he did earlier where he said, this is a constitutional matter, and boy, am I sharp on the Constitution, the real law of Australia. <laughs> so this is right up my veggie patch. What? And there's a few things about that. Kevin Rudd write that? <laughs> Basically, well, this guy, he, need, he needs his own show. He needs his own show immediately. <laughs> like, I don't day. care what it Dead is. I don't, I don't, like, maybe some sort of Judge Judy style thing. I don't know. I don't care if it's a, you know, Leyland Brothers adventuring around Australia. Maybe. The people's colour too. That's right. Maybe it's set in Armadale. I don't care. I just need him to have his own show. Was, I reckon him and Bob Day and the Kangaroo Colourton. <laughs> when they, they go into Armadale and this key swiping racket, which isn't isn't what it seems. But just going back to that quote, because there's one thing about it that really, really bothers me, apart from the fact that this is right up my veggie page, is not an expression. It is now. Is saying that the const- the Constitution is the real law of Australia, which, given that he's a senator in the Australian Parliament, begs the question: <laughs> Why is he a it's senator the one in the Australian Parliament? Touch. If apparently the only true law is the Constitution. Uh, is he advised by Dennis DeNuto? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, he's just he's just acknowledging that there is a hierarchy of laws and, you know, the Constitution in is the king of laws. It's the... It's the Voldemort, <laughs> if you will, of, um, of legislation. Oh, man. Um, and it, he also said that he was like an opening batsman and he was going to hit 100... And he was and 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 he was coming coming into the Senate with a couple of battle scars. I mean, it was just there were so many wonderful Australianisms. I think at one point he even um, compared the swiping of the key just to taking a scone off a plate of scones. You know, mm. it's not it's no big deal. It ain't no thing. How is this person not in the Queensland Parliament? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It, it did feel like he was kind of channeling sort of vintage Joe Bjorki Peterson. I have to say, it was um, yeah. It's quite magical to watch. The, the, there are videos online which I, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend because he he doesn't even deliver it that crazy. It's very, very conversational, and you can kind of hear those like because there's this kind of a press form. I feel like a lot of the journalists are kind of a little bit slow off the mark, getting their their sort of throwing a question at him purely because they're still processing what they've heard. <laughs> and, and, and trying to work out what what the actual hell he is talking about. I really hope he mounts his own defence. <laughs> well, this is going to be exciting if he does go into the high court because, like, I, I don't I don't know that uh, the case law is ready for what's coming. 
It could be extraordinary. <laughs> Not to mention the sheep. The sheep <laughs> currently, oh. currently cowering in their paddocks, in the in the bottom paddock, um, waiting. It, it fills sort me. Of avoiding being shorn. Yes, I'm sure. Look, it fills me with considerable awe uh, when I think back on the, the process by which Pauline Hanson picked her Senate candidates. I mean, these are not your ordinary Fruit Loops. These are go far and beyond. I don't know who the other one is, but the, I assume that this other senator is, is equally worthy of, of, of fascination. But how do you find a Carlton and Roberts? They're not sitting around at, at the local pub. Then You've got to look hard and deep on, on very dubious internet for it, don't you, to try and find people of that calibre? <laughs> I do get the impression with the One Nation senators in particular that there's a bit of the Ricky Muir's going on, um, and particularly this guy, Rod Collerton, like he maybe really didn't expect to get elected. So, um, you know, well, he the, actually the said in the interview saying, that, he, that he, he reckoned that he was probably four glasses of wine down when he, uh, when he signed the form. <laughs> legend. <laughs> this person deserves to become a folk hero. That's Australian and democracy. And that boys. girl from the viral video from the Melbourne Cup get together. It's going to be magical. <laughs> Extraordinary. Um, yeah, I mean, it never ceases to amaze me. Even if you think about all the, both the major parties, they always come up with dud um, candidates. Every single election, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, who just don't really pass muster. And usually they're selected for electorates where they're not going to win, like where, where it's a safe seat for the other party. Or well, Pauline Hanson in the first place, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you think about it, the, the major parties with all of the resources that they have available and all of the experience they have in vetting candidates still get it wrong quite often. So, you know, what, are the, what chance do the minor parties have really? Like it must be quite a difficult process to get quality candidates who aren't Total lunatics and don't, who don't have any skeletons in their closet, which may or may not be related to the swiping of high car keys. Well, there's also on on this very matter. There, there is an, just. I, I'm sorry, I, I I took a lot of quotes from Cullerton's interview because it, as we have established, it was magical. When he was asked who would replace him if it turned out that he did have to stand down, these were his words: "Someone probably not as good as me." Clearly. And he's right. He's, he's absolutely right because there's no one as good as him in all of no, Western Australia evident. and maybe not even in Australia. He'll be back. You watch it. They'll try and lock him out of the Senate. He'll, he'll get the key. He'll get <laughs> back in there in no time. He'll hide it in a scone. <laughs> this is extraordinary. So, so Carlton's now evidently become the folk hero of the hour while I've been uh, not paying attention due to, due to travel distractions. But, but Bob, and Bob Day, this is someone who, who was re-elected, so this is not his first rodeo. Um, putting together a, a deal which he claims is perfectly above board, but let's just say the advisors said, red flag, red flag, abort, abort, danger. And then this guy who potentially isn't eligible either. I mean, this could potentially radically rebalance the Senate calculations, which are already hard enough for the coalition to get anything done. And, and Day was one that they thought they could rely on. From what I've seen very briefly, just from looking at Anthony Green's Twitter, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but if it goes back to um, a recount rather than family first getting to nominate a re the replacement, as was previously thought, um, I think it goes between Labor and One Nation. So in, essentially that's going to be a vote lost. This is making life a lot harder, is it not, Andrew, for the Prime Minister for whom life probably couldn't have been much harder. I wouldn't have thought he could have imagined a way his parliamentary calculus could have got harder, and yet it has, it seems. It, it makes it trickier, but, I mean, it's kind of, it'll, it'll probably be one less crossbench argument that he'd have to have. 
Because, I mean, I mean, the thing with, with Carlton, at least that's going to be, if he does step down, One Nation would just put the next person on the um, on the ballot. Uh, in Someone his place. not as good, yeah, yeah. Someone not as good, who I think actually is Carlton's sister, if I remember correctly. Ouch. <laughs> so, so, you know, so it could just be him in a wig. I, I have no idea if his sister would even exist. Hello. Yes, I'm Rodina. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, Wow. But Jacqueline, certainly, I mean, the, the Prime Minister has a, a tricky mathematical equation. What do you think this means? Is it going to be, it's already impossible, so what difference does it make? Or is it going to make his life even harder, do you think? It's definitely going to make his, his um, life harder because, well, first of all, there's the uncertainty over it and the distraction, the political distraction. And it, it puts a fair bit of pressure um, on the Attorney General. Like, he's, he's being sort of grilled after he's just sort of wiggled out of the, the Justin Gleeson saga, which probably wouldn't have made a lot of ripples outside of Canberra except, you know, it does put a lot of pressure on the Attorney-General. And now he's under pressure over this um, issue with uh, Bob Day and how much the government knew about his eligibility and his arrangements with this renting of this office space from the Commonwealth. I mean, it's very complex legal stuff, but it's basically how much did the government know and when did they know that he might there might be a cloud over his eligibility. So there's sort of the political element to it. And then once the numbers fall, um, if they lose Bob Day, then he was just someone that they could rely on. I mean, they've got, I'm trying to think, they've got, they've got 10, they've got the numbers in the Senate, I'm just looking at them now, um, there's nine Green Senators. So if... if And then there's, I think, there's seven, there's 11 on the crossbench. So, yeah. you know, and there's what, four One Nation, three Nick Xenophon. So um, uh, Bob Day was one that they could always count on and they don't have that anymore. I mean, everybody's a crucial one when you have a crossbench that sort of diverse. Yeah, so if, if, if it did go to Labor, then that would put Labor with a total of 27 seats in the Senate uh, to the Coalition's 30. So, so, I mean, Labor and the Greens... At the moment, have got 35 to the to the government's uh, 30, so this would be 36 to their 30, which suddenly makes the negotiating with the crossbench even more difficult. As it is at the moment, if the Greens and Labor block something, then they need the support of the Nick Xenophon team and One Nation. If it goes to One yeah. Nation, then it becomes a, a bit more manageable. But even so, they're, they're just swapping one guaranteed vote from Bob Day for one fairly likely, but with conditions attached to vote from One Nation. Assuming that One Nation stays as together as one electoral block, and fr frankly, who the hell would predict that? Okay, <laughs> so look, essentially the Senate becomes even messier somehow. We'll see how that pans out. Let's, with the time remaining to us, um, shift gears, because, well, Andrew, we've been doing this podcast for a while now. I think it's pretty good. I think it's all right. But I, I, I doff my hat to the podcasting genius of the ABF podcast, oh. the Australian Border Force. The new gold standard of podcasts. It's platinum, please. Studded with diamonds it is. And look, any podcast that begins with a look back at that happy day back in 2014 when the Australian Border Force was created and Scott Morrison, uh, accompanied by some jaunty music, um, announced that this thing's going to happen. I mean, really, it, it's just it's a, it's a sterling tribute to an incredible agency, Andrew. Well, look, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the 12-minute explanation of 
uh, how they merged the bureaucracies of customs and immigration. Oh, that was visionary. That was absolutely like edge of the seat stuff. I mean, I was like, are they going to pull it off? I mean, don't, don't tell me the ending. <laughs> and uh, spoiler, they did. And it was great. And they made they made border force. For years you went to the airport. There was immigration, there was customs. Oh, oh. they were bickering, they were squabbling. Oh. It was a ding dong battle between the two agencies. What did it they do? Was a ding -dong battle. They combined it under one umbrella, <laughs> this magnificent new Australian border force and, and it's admittedly a complete copy of what the British did with the same name, um, and probably almost a stupid logo. But, but Jacqueline, now it's a bold new vision of one happy family. It's like the Brady Bunch, only a uh, immigration and customs organisation. Yeah, look, I mean, this was this was a great dramatisation of um, a back office efficiency um, manoeuvre. It's one of the <laughs> one of the best dramatisations of back office efficiencies I've ever heard. And as as the border it's an force, efficiency dividend, yeah, it's bearing yeah. fruit. Um, and as the officer who sort of narrated the, the historical section um, about this merging of departments and the border force creation or the inception, if you will, of the border force, um, he said this is this was seen as a bold move by some, and I don't think anyone will argue with that. I mean, it was it some. was dramatic. It was bold. Um, it actually was quite bold. I mean, when we when I remember, you know, when it was announced by Scott Morris, and it was like, okay, it was um it was. Um, it was quite surprising. It was quite dramatic as far as these things go. Um, and they, I mean, there was a bit of back and forth in this section and the questioner asked why was there concern by some at the time. Some, this mysterious some. About the formation of this new department. I think um, they meant some 41, the Canadian pop punk group. The, the, they, they had some <laughs> how dare some and the guy sort of talked about increasing volumes and complexities um, and the twin pillars of challenge which turned out to Good be the, the, the twin pillars of challenge and the twin that pillars of challenge that was my favourite Harry Potter book twin pillars of challenge <laughs> that was I think that's that's one that Rob Cullerton got a lot of his legal advice from yeah, yeah, that's that's the next yes. one coming out. Um, no, they talk and the, the closest thing. This is, I mean, it was an amazing exercise in um, bureaucraties and just sort of um, wrapping in woolly um, bureaucratic language. You know, the, the the refugee sort of crisis that we have at our borders. But um, they talk about the human and cargo streams, um, which are the two the twin pillars of challenge. And the human, you know, the reference to the human stream um, was about the closest thing they got to um, mentioning the the. I was elephant just thinking in the room, of urine is, at that point. Yeah, sure. Um, and um, which is appropriate. That's that's, for that's about what, as close as they the got living to conditions um, of a detainer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, this, yeah, the, the bathrooms that we uh, that we saw on four corners at the uh, at the Nauru detention centre. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that, was, that was amazing to me that they managed to um, to go through pretty much the whole whole podcast without mentioning the word asylum seekers. Definitely not the word refugees. They just talked about human streams. Don't be so negative about this wonderful agency. I think you're talking about Roman Quadvleg, the head of Border Force, and strangely didn't mention his um his greatest claim to fame in the public eye when the uh, that that operation was going to take place in in Melbourne with the random frisking of passers by and asking for their papers. It somehow didn't get mentioned. Operation Fortitude, that was. That was Operation yes, of Fortitude. Course. Oh, that's right. Yeah, God, I'd forgotten about that. I hope that's in episode three of the podcast. The thing that I learned um that, that was most charming was that Border Force does actually, uh, as opposed to what some think, 
They care very deeply about, about living creatures and, and have a lot of compassion and humanity. Yes. Admittedly for fish, mm. for fish that get caught in those ghost nets rather than human beings, but, you know, that's a start. Yes. Damn, they hate ghost nets. Work our way up to the, to the primates. If we, can, if we can start making them look at uh, refugees as kind of the, the fish of the land, then maybe, maybe we have a we, – we, that, that could be our opener. They did. I mean, I, I actually, quite in all seriousness, I was really interested to hear about the ghost nets. I didn't that know was that a was a bit. thing. Yeah, yeah. Apparently there are like kilometres and kilometres of, yeah, of dislodged fishing nets, which is just floating around the RFURA Sea, and all of these poor turtles, fish, other mammals and marine animals are getting um, – well, the, the nets indiscriminately target them, according to the podcast. Almost as though they were asylum seekers. Sorry. Yeah, and then and then they talk about um, the you know gathering up the ghost nets and um, releasing the wildlife from them manually. Yeah, and they said thankfully in this last instance we were able to release a turtle, which I thought was quite heartwarming. And yeah, but it does bring to mind the fact that while they're releasing turtles, they're sort of well the, the Australian government, not Border Force themselves, of course, but the Australian government is uh, locking up um, young children and men and women on other parts of the ocean. The land turtles of the sea of the land. <laughs> but look, <laughs> what, what you might mention asylum seekers, you might want to focus on the negative, but, but can I just remind you that episode one of the Border Force podcast featured puppies. I know. Who doesn't like puppies? I know, I know. How bad can an agency be that has a, a squad of puppies? I know. They're the they land turtles of the land. Of the <laughs> yeah, they save the best to last, and the best always involves puppies because the border force, of course, needs sniffer dogs, doesn't it? So sniffer dogs sure. are sniffer puppies before they're sniffer dogs, and the puppies have to be fostered yes. before they um they have their, they enjoy their childhoods before they're sort of shanghaied back into duty, um in in border force operational um things, including maybe another operation fortitude, who knows. Um, yeah, so they, they they talk about how they fostered out like thousands of little puppies. I think that's a lovely story. How, how did yeah. I want to get into the, the the border force puppy fostering game? Maybe if you maybe that's in that's in episode two. I think mm. I think it, most of it happened um, in um, in Melbourne. I don't know. I think I, I have a feeling that the puppies were were fostered in Victoria. I mean, you've yeah. got to be part of the stream, the human stream. <laughs> um. Well, I, see, I was amazed in. In, in episode two, because I, I, I was so captivated with the first episode that I... Oh, you got to listen I, on, Jacqueline. I, I rushed ahead. You binged. You binged, you binged listen to the, to I the Border binge Force listen. podcast. I, 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 I binged hard on the Podforce broadcast. But the the, uh, <laughs> the thing that I couldn't get over was how the... how Because they're talking about chasing down pirates on the high seas in high-tech boats. It sounds awesome. It's like and, an episode of Tintin. It's like it Tintin. Sounds, it should have... It should have been fantastic, and it was the dullest story I'd ever heard because a lot of it was <laughs> was talking about, you know, how how much water gets displaced when they're going at eighteen <laughs> knots, and it's and it's kind of like, well, that's really secondary. Can we get on to the bit where you chase down the the, the pirates? Because yeah, I want to hear about the Somalian pirates. Maybe there, not Somalian, but, but I want them to be Somalian. They were. Yeah. Uh, well, I, TMA. Really. I assume that they were Somalian. Yeah. So it was. Uh, I thought that they were kind of burying the lead there with their uh, thinking that that what people came came for was to hear a lot of military abbreviations <laughs> that were not explained and back office efficiencies, oh, well, which is mm. very important. Well, that, that's that's the third of the twin pillars. 
<laughs> Pillars don't float very well, do they? No. <laughs> I think my favourite aspect of the, the Border Force podcast, and really there were so many, was the copious detail given about how to conceal items. So that they were talking oh, about yeah. the, the, the ABF College, uh, which I haven't had the pleasure to attend, sadly. I'm waiting for the, the animal house of Border Force College. But anyway, um, and, yeah, the, the very detailed information about how you can... Darton House! Yes. You can put meth in your jeans and hide them. Um, you can put stuff on the bottom of a chest of drawers and it just all, yes. these, all these tricks I never thought of when, when I smuggle meth across borders. Mm. They said they said stuff. Yeah, they were talking about how they um, they trained their officers in concealment and how to you know ev- evade concealments. And they they did. They said stuff like things might be taped under drawers. They said that things aren't always found in cupboards. Um, which well, things to be fair, in their defence, things aren't always found in cupboards. I mean, let's that's right. Let's, There's no, let's never not, a true word was spoken. So true. <laughs> you know these things. They're, they're not always found in cupboards. I want to know what it costs. Certainly the budget was higher than this stupid podcast. Yeah, the, produ- <laughs> the production values were great. And um, I I mean, I look forward to the television version in which the, the, the puppies themselves um, have cameo roles. Mm. <laughs> Each one named after a murdered asylum. <laughs> oh, dear. But look, I, I, mean, I went into it sceptical about the Border Force and thinking that it was a an exercise in, in spin and, and also uh, rebranding the government as more efficient and more uh, and tougher indeed on on uh, those who, who shouldn't be here because it's a border force. It's not just your customs and immigration. How boring in last century. But I learned from the podcast that they're actually wonderful people uh, who do fine work mm. and find efficiencies wherever they can, assisted by multiple pillars and puppies. What's not to like? And puppies. Pillars and puppies. My, my one disappointment well, I, was that they didn't say... At, at any point, no one sort of cut in to say, this ain't your grandpa's government department, because I, I think that would have really set Episode it Episode three. <laughs> All jokes aside, I actually emerged with a with a greater respect and understanding for the naval officers who do this work because I thought, you know, you do get a sort of vision, particularly with the ghost nets, which obviously really, really captured my imagination in the Arafura Sea. But you get a, you get a vision of these guys, these you know, these really well-trained personnel who are jetting around these far, far, far reaches of Australia that we, and off the coast of Australia, that we never go to and would never even dream of. And they're really out there. They're really isolated. I mean, it was really sort of like the ancient mariner or something to me. Like I was quite fascinated with, with the idea of them being out there completely isolated on the high seas and dealing with all this stuff. Don't you think it's pretty amazing? amazing poetry. It's hard work. It's impressive work. And then at the end of a very long day of manually hauling in ghost nets, some bastard from the communications department does an interview for their yeah. stupid podcast to try and burnish the image of the border force. <laughs> um, there you go. Let's go and listen to it. It's out there on, on uh, wherever good podcasts are, are found and also this one. We might have to leave it there. But, uh, Jacqueline, we can read you, of course, in Fairfax newspapers um, as we can. Andrew and, and elsewhere. And you're going to be joining us at our live event on the 24th of November. You can buy tickets at uh, giantdwarf.com.au along with uh, Mark Stefano from BuzzFeed. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on this instalment and uh, thank you for enduring that podcast in the interest of preparing it. You're very welcome and I will look forward to episode two. It's magical. I I won't give it away, but there's there's piracy on the high seas. Ocean (laughs) Shield. That's all I'm going to say. Ocean Shield. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The twin pillars of Ocean Shield. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. 
or uh, or Stitcher or uh, anything else you like. Catch you next time. See ya. Bye.